Good morning. Our scripture reading today is found in Acts chapter 19, verse 23 through 34. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen and related trades, and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in particularly the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Some of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they, shout, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Two hours, many of them not even knowing why they're there. Can you imagine it? May it not happen in the church service today. We'll find out. As we go into this, let me remind you once again that if you summarize the message of the Bible, the, the word that summarizes what it's all about is, is gospel, God's gospel. And that word gospel means good news. So when you read this thing and, and you see what it's at the heart of it, God is, is giving good news to the world and, and to you and me. Uh, it, it starts with telling us that there is a God. It opens that way. I'm here. I've made everything. I've made you in my image. I know you. And, and the Bible let us know that God loves us. But God also knows where we've walked away from him. But, the, but also part of this good news, and it centers on God coming into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, is that he has found a way to cleanse us of our sins, to, to make us clean, to forgive our sins. And it's not that we earn it or do it ourselves. It, it's that Jesus took our place. It, it's a gift of God received by faith. This is good news. Anybody think it's good news? This is good news. And, all right, 
But you and I know that just cleansing from the past isn't going to get us there. The other part of the good news is he's going to keep working. He gives himself to you. And he's going to keep working in your life until he makes you what he created you to be in the first place, conform to his image again. He promises it's going to happen. This is good news. It's really, really good news. It's really good news. But, but did you see the title of the sermon today? Uh, the difficult truth about God's good news. What's that all about? Well, here it is. Listen to me. That when you come to know God through faith in Jesus, He always separates you from your idols. I, um, I can almost look out and think that some of you are thinking, that's good, this won't have anything to say to me because I don't believe in idols. Uh, the other religions may, other churches, we don't, we don't have those things around here. I don't struggle with idols. And I'm here to tell you, um, yes, you do. Yes, you do. And the more that you're aware of the idols that you struggle with, the more hope there is for you. And the more you are unaware of what it is, uh, the more trouble you probably are in in your spiritual lives. Because, I think it was John Calvin who said, the human heart is an idol factory. A human heart is an idol factory. There's something in our imperfect human hearts that just almost take anything and say, I've got to have that and put it in the place of God. I'm telling you, it takes the power of God to separate us from our idols. And that brings us at last to what happened in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. If you have your Bible, just look there. Uh, I have a map of Ephesus here. I've been here a number of times. Uh, I'll just show you where it is so that you can envision it. It was in a, uh, a very important city in the ancient world. It's in what's now Turkey. Uh, do you see it there over uh, on the left? It was a major uh, economic center. It, it was also a political and, and religious center, uh, one of the major uh, mega cities uh, of the world. Uh, I've been there. I, I have a picture that Dave Scheidler took. Oh, he has many pictures. In fact, I, I could only pick out one of them. But if you'd like to see others, just go over to Dave and Mary uh, Sue's home and maybe anytime, maybe they'll show you uh, more, more of these, uh, these pictures. Uh, but for the church, the city of Ephesus was huge because Paul spent almost three years there. And it was one of the biggest churches, Kelly read to you, many people came to faith in Jesus through these years that the Apostle Paul was there. And, and through the early part of the church, it became one of the main, main churches. It was the church of the Apostle Paul. It was the church of the Apostle John. Uh, young Timothy, when he was the church, that he was, it was Ephesus. Uh, so this, uh, this is just one of those significant, significant churches. When we get to Acts chapter 19, Paul had already been in Ephesus for two and a half years. He made that kind of commitment to the city. And by that time, I don't know if you noticed down in verse 31, he had made inroads all through the city. As people all over the city were coming to faith in Jesus, must have been an exciting thing that was happening. Even the major city officials, verse 31, were friends of Paul. The word, our translations don't get it well. The Asiarchs, they were the main respected body there in that part of Turkey. He had friends there. So when trouble came, they, they took his side. It, it just makes you wonder, how on earth was he able to get this kind of uh, influence in the city and have, have that kind of impact that really made its way into the culture? And, and the, um, the reason is, and I pointed out last week what happened in Athens, Greece, that, that Paul didn't go and attack people. Yes, he disagreed with them. 
about so many things, and especially about God. But he, he didn't run people down or call them names. He treated people with respect. And so he listened to them, and the word that was used, he reasoned with people. He said, I, I want to talk to you about the God that I have met. He listened to what they believed. They went back and forth, and through that, many people came to say, yes, there must be a God that came to faith in Jesus It's the way I want us to learn to engage with our world. We we hold strongly to the God we believe in and to the gospel, but we respect the people. I mean, I, I told you how troubling it is for me, how polarized our world is in so many ways. Christians, we have to have a different way of showing the respect of people because people are made in God's image. So that there were many, many um, people in in Ephesus and in Athens and in many places who had already begun to question. Uh, these many gods, because Ephesus had so many temples, and especially this, this biggest one uh, to Artemis, the Romans called her Diana. Uh, do, do you remember last week uh, I, I showed the picture of the Parthenon in Athens, Greece? It was so huge, towering over the city. The temple of Artemis was four times bigger than that. I mean, it was the center of the city. And yet what happens here with Paul is, as he was calling people to say, no, that's not God, there is one God, it started to change the culture of the city. He he confronted the gods of the city. Now, other groups like the Stoics and the Epicureans were already doubting that there are many gods. That cannot be true. But they had never made inroads into the real lives of people. But what happens with Paul is, as what always happens, when the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward, The idols of the city and the idols of our lives have to be smashed. And that led to this conflict between the world and and, and the gospel. And so that brings us at last to the message. I want to talk about idolatry. So what is that? Because the, the main point of Acts 19 is all about idols. I don't want you to miss that. And I've come to the conclusion that there are a few topics I could talk to you about. About bringing the gospel to our own community and about your own walk with God, there are a few topics I could talk about more important than about idols. Uh, I can't say everything about it. It's a big topic. So I'm going to recommend to you strongly a wonderful book about this. It's by Pastor Tim Keller, and it's called Counterfeit Gods. I'll show it to you here. Counterfeit Gods. I encourage you to get it and read it if you can. And notice the subtitle, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power. I'm starting to see some of the other gods there. I I tell you, it's both instructive, but it's also very convicting. So, as we come back to Ephesus then, I want to begin by looking at verse 26. There was a silversmith, and obviously a very successful one, named Demetrius. And he saw that the gospel was beginning to threaten so many things in the city. And this is what he said, verse 26. This Paul says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. No, do you know what Demetrius did? With his human hands, he made other gods. And he's like, listen to what he's saying. Do you get the implications of this? And all these people are becoming Christians. He's saying that, that the gods that we make, if we make them, they're not God. If they are made, they're not God. We've got to do something about this. It, it's so interesting for me that Paul always used this phrase, uh, Gods made by human hands are not gods. We saw it back in Athens. You see it in other places. But it becomes so dominant in his preaching that even people who were not Christians knew what it was all about. They believe in one God. 
So that the thing that's at the heart of our lives, and the heart of our city, they're saying, that's not God. So that, when, when, when Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, he always preached the gospel in contrast to the gods of the community and the world and people's lives. And I think I have to do the same. Now, in doing so, here, my concern in preaching a sermon like this in Southern California, 21st century, is when I talk about idols, you're going to think, we don't have any of those here at Lake Avenue Church. We don't have any of those in our city. We don't, we don't have these big silver and gold statues that people are bowing down to. So we better try to think about what idolatry is all about. And I'll tell you, uh, an idol is anything that has ultimacy in your life. Now, uh, do not forget that the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments both have to do with idolatry. The second one says don't make anything and then worship it. Uh, the first is even more fundamental. Anything that is made and you put into God's place, yeah. nothing in the place of God. Uh, in fact, the way it's put in the Hebrew, both in, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the two main places where the Ten Commandments are given, will use a, a literal phrase of there is nothing to be to the face of God. So nothing in his place, not, nothing that we give, him, give ultimate allegiance to. Nothing that we ultimately put our trust in that we just have to have. God first. And all other things then are added to you. So when you think about it, what is an idol? I want you to think about it this way. An idol is anything so important to you that losing it would devastate you. You put, put it in that place of your life. It really is that, that thing or ambition or, or goal that you spend your thoughts on. It's what you give your energies towards. Sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it. It's become so much a part of your being. It's that important to you. Uh, when you potentially lose that thing, it, it doesn't just lead to sorrow. Because, you know, loss of anything uh, leads to sorrow, doesn't it? I mean, even if you lose your keys one day, you feel frustrated and sorrow. I'll tell you, the loss of an idol, something that you put into such a place in your life, you put it into the place of God, you've got to have it. It leads sometimes to rage, that's what happened here that day. It leads to rage. I've got to have that thing. I can't be happy without that thing. And, and just as much, sometimes it leads to anxiety and despair. Uh, let me tell you, uh, in the 1800s, there was a French historian and political thinker. His name was Alexis de Tocqueville. Um, maybe in your history classes you read about him. He was agnostic about God. Uh, but he came over here and he did a brilliant analysis of what he saw happening in this, this American democracy. He, he was quite impressed by so much of what he saw, including by the life of religion in this place, though himself was unsure about, about religion. But he also saw something that really concerned him about our gods. This is what he said, a part of it. There is a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in America in the midst of all their abundance. Um, they seem to think that prosperity can quench their yearning for happiness. But such a hope has proved illusory. Now, I, I put a quote, maybe you already have seen it up here. I put a quote up here that I think is so profound as he looked at us. He said, the incomplete joys of this world. Isn't that quite a phrase? The incomplete 
joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. He's not even a preacher. He's like, look what he says. This strange melancholy manifests itself in many ways, but it always leads to the same despair of not finding what is sought. I tell you, I think that our culture right here, right now where you and I live, is not fundamentally different from the 1800s when he was here, and it's not fundamentally different from what Paul saw in Ephesus. Um, we just have other gods, or we just visualize them in, in different ways. Notice this, that idolatry then is not necessarily going after bad things. Sometimes it is. We get an addiction to something that's bad. Idolatry is sometimes going after a good things, but making that good thing ultimate. Putting it into God's place. So I've written this for you. I believe, and for us as church people, you and I can believe all the right things about God and the gospel. Uh, you can show up every week at church. You can sing all the songs of praise to God. And you might even enjoy a sermon now and again. But if anything is functionally, and by functionally I mean in, in your daily way of living your life, if anything functionally is more important to your happiness, to your identity, to your hope, than God, then you have an idol. So, if I'm going to preach a sermon about this, and, and how big a deal is this? How prevalent is this? How dangerous is this for us? So I'm going to go after that one. Um, in Ephesus, the main deity was Artemis. Again, I tell you, the Romans called her Diana. I have a picture of some of these statues, like the one that, that uh, Demetrius probably made. So you, you see it there. Artemis was the goddess of health and prosperity. Uh, the, the Ephesians were so proud. Some of them said she founded our city. Because worship of Diana had made it all over the known world, they said, it's, it's, it's here, we're the center. So much of their culture revolved around her worship. So that if you, you find an ancient coin, it always had a, a picture, a, an image of Artemis on it. If you find city documents, it always had her picture on it. You just see how important it was. So you might think that uh, for, for people like Demetrius and the silversmiths, that the main god, maybe the only real god they had, was Artemis. Well, I think again. Um, look at verse 25. So, this Demetrius called together the other silversmiths, not only them, verse 25, along with the workers in related trades. And he said, you, you see it here, verse 25, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Demetrius. It's the money, way of life he gets out of this being here. Is this clear to you? That, he, that the, really there was another God that Demetrius just, was just sort of a, a resource toward. The real God was money. So now, now this is getting closer home, right? I'm starting to meddle. Do you think it's possible that anybody in Southern California has money as an idol? Yeah, do you think any of us who come to church that we're tempted toward that? All right, all right. What kinds of things am I talking about? The human heart is an idol factory. So it just seems to me that whatever interest you have, we are so creative we can turn that thing into an idol. I've got to have that. Whatever profession you're in, 
You, you find creative ways to turn those things into idols. We, we are just so good at this. So I've started jotting down just some of the things that I see as idols in our world. This could be a long sermon, so I, I can only t- touch on this thing. But I want you to think about what might compete with God in your life for His place. One, I think sometimes success. I, I've, I've got to have that accomplishment. I began thinking about the many, many baseball players in my lifetime who have sacrificed their integrity and their reputation and even their bodies to find success in sports through the use of steroids. We say, well, how, how could they do that? But if, you, if you've got to succeed, do you understand it, don't you? And, and then I, I began thinking about that Chariots of Fire movie, that Academy Award where uh, Harold Abrahamson, uh, the runner, had, had won a, a, a race and he was asked, are you now content? And he said, contentment. I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. Now when I use them, you say, yeah, they have a problem with that, don't they? And I think very few of us are ever going to become major, base, major league baseball players. And not many of us are going to be Olympic athletes, right? But men, okay, women too, some. But men, can you believe the role that sports plays in our lives? I see it here. Uh, we, our, our whole joy is on the Dodgers or the, or the Lakers winning. Sometimes it's almost scary after they've lost to preach a sermon. People just come in in the pits of depression. And even though we may never ourselves be great, successful, professional athletes, some of us have centered our lives around things like fantasy football can't believe that, that guy got ahead of me. How, how can I draft that? I mean, it's just amazing to me how, how de- good things can become an obsession. And that's one of the temptations that we have. I, another, but security. The longing for security can be a God. I'll never forget how a young woman in my very first church uh, came and asked me to do her wedding. And she admitted to me that the man that she was marrying was uncaring and probably not a believer, um, but he was wealthy. And because she feared the poverty that she'd grown up with, she didn't think she could ever really have uh, shalom and, and happiness without having the kind of financial security that she thought he could give her. I said, but why don't you trust God for that? Uh, you know he tells you not to go down a path like But she did not care. I didn't do that wedding. And only within a few months after she was married, it, it ended. I'll tell you, the pursuit of finding security in this world is not going to be found in anything like So I'll keep going down this path. What about marriage? You think marriage can become a God? I tell you, I've spoken with countless people over the years who really thought that if I can get married to a certain person, then that's the answer to all of my emptiness. What that meant is marrying that person had turned that person into an idol. And you can just imagine, anybody who comes into a relationship like that can never live up to that, right? They have to fill all your emptiness. That that person has to, to be God to you. And no matter how great that person is, that person is going to let you down. You've got to find your identity and, and sufficiency in Christ and then that other person can be a joy, a gift from God to you. can't be God. Marriage for us is such a tricky thing because biblically we know that uh, the Bible often describes our relationship to God as being closest in this world to a, a marriage relationship. 
So sometimes we can, we're tempted to put one into the place of, of the other. But I'm just telling you, a marriage can't be the relationship to God. So I'll tell you, when, uh, what happens is when the marriage goes sour, it's like an open wound that you live all the time. And the only thing you dream about is getting out of that marriage. That's your new idol. <laughs> and marrying somebody else. And if you have a good marriage, that, that, you see how tricky this is? You turn that person into the ultimate thing and then what happens if that person dies because till death do us part. We need something that, that nothing in this world or the next can ever separate us from that love. That's on, the only place you'll find that is in, in God through faith in Jesus Christ. And since I'm on this path, let me keep going down it. Family. Do you think family can be a God? Is it possible that you can make children your God? I got one yes. <laughs> oh man, I was a university president for 12 years. And I saw a helicopter parenting, do you know what I mean? Hovering, hovering, hovering over their children. All, living their lives through their children. I saw that when a student would make his or her first B, telephone calls coming from the parents to the professor. Why would you do that to my child? There was that one, Chris, do you remember? There was that one where after graduating... A woman went in, they had a job interview and didn't get the job and the mother called the boss and said, how could you do that to my child? I mean, I'll tell you, if anybody, children are, are wonderful gifts, but they're terrible gods. If anyone, puts, if anyone puts a child in the place of God, it's going to create a false love that will smother the child and strangle that relationship. What else? Um, career. I think it's one of the most tempting gods of all. And uh, many of us here, where we've had education, worked hard for that career, and having that career advance and get that promotion, and get many times that really becomes, and we even come to church praying that God will give us that job and that work. Work is a beautiful thing. We're made in the image of God. God worked, and we find joy in it. It's a terrible God. Erin um, Callan, do you remember her? She was the CFO for Lehman. And as they got into trouble, she really got into trouble for some things she did to keep advancing and then, then lost her career there and then afterwards didn't know what to do. She wrote an article called, Is There Life After Work? Is There Life After Work? And she said, I didn't even know how to value myself apart from work. What I did was who I was, her identity and her work. So she slowly put work ahead of everything in her life until there was no everything else left. Uh, which brings us then to Demetrius's God, money. Uh, Tim Keller mentions it as, as one of the three main gods in American culture, uh, money, sex, and power. And as a, as a pastor, I have never had a church person come to me and say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I'm spending too much money on myself. Never had it happen. It's always, how can I get more? I've never had anybody say, I think my focus on money is harming my relationships, my marriage, my family, my friends. And I think the real trouble here is money is so deceiving when we get into the grip of it. See, we're, we're material people. And so material things can just grab hold of us and we don't even know what's happening. And if we do well, we often thank God for that blessing, right? But then we take that blessing and make it a right. 
And we think, well, I have a right to have a bigger house. I have a right to have a, a bigger car. Of course, I have a right to have this entertainment that I have. I have a right to send my kids to good schools. Remember, those things are not necessarily bad. They might even be gifts from God. Um, but, but an idol doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing that has ultimacy in our lives that we can't separate ourselves from. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus. He knew something was missing. He said, how can I have eternal life, the life I was made, the life of God that I was made for? And Jesus said, this is an easy one. Uh, something's weighing you down. You just have to get rid of that thing that's weighing you down. But the thing that was weighing him down was his money and his possessions. Jesus said, get rid of that idol. Come follow me and you're going to find life. But he couldn't. Uh, possessions, money, possess us. Hold on to us. Don't fulfill us. Never let us go. You know, so as I've been reading these stories and trying to think, how do I talk to us in Southern California about these stories? I, I know we just scoff at these ancient cities Paul visited having work gods, health gods, sex gods, weather gods, money gods, patriotism gods, physical beauty gods. We, we look at that and say, we'd never have anything like that. We have them all, don't we? Well, we, we just visualize them different. They're not made of silver and gold. They're made of perhaps uh, stage and screen. Much, much more, they're made of a mirror. There I am. I'm going to live for myself. Beware. Uh, looks, achievement, reputation, social cause, a political ambition. Sexual preference and practice has become a god in our day. Uh, Tim Keller writes a lot about that. Uh, tell a person, uh, even though you're inclined in one way, God tells you to live this way. Find out if you don't find the same kind of rage that you find with Demetrius. See, they're prevalent. They are everywhere. Anything can become a God. Anything that you take in this world and put it into the place of God that takes over your heart becomes an idol. All right, I've got to move on oh, so quickly. So what's the big problem with this? Uh, Quickly, I think I can summarize it. Two things. One, there is already a God. There, there is already a God. And to say anything else is God is an affront to God. It would be the same thing for you and me. Uh, for, for someone to say, every time I see you, uh, you have uh, the telephone in your hand. That must be your God. Um, no, that's you. That's you, they say. No, no, that's not me. That's just a telephone. No, that's you. That's an affront. We're much more than just our telephone, aren't we? Well, you know, so to say that God is something other than he is, is an affront to God. So, so that's, it's not right. But beyond that, I'll just tell you, the God who is made you in his image. He loves you with an everlasting love. May I tell you that again? He loves you with an everlasting love. And he, he knows you and I have been made to only find shalom happiness, satisfaction, we only find it when we put him at the center of our lives. Then the other things we don't live for, if they're lost, we still have him at the center of our lives. And he knows that when we put anything else in the center of our lives, it'll let us down. It'll never give you what you're looking for. It'll never give you the self-esteem. No idol can give you self-esteem. It'll never give you satisfaction. Nothing in this world can give you lasting happiness. It starts with God. And he can never be taken away. It's our identity, our, our happiness, our hope being found in him. And we, we meet him when we meet 
Jesus. And because of that, when Paul preached the gospel, he says, I'm going to introduce you, I'm going to make you alive through faith in Jesus to the God who is so that he can come into your soul again. He always preached the real God in contrast to false gods. And I think if the gospel is going to advance here in the San Gabriel Valley, I and we need to, to identify what the gods of our, of our world are and, and call them out and call people away from them. They have to be smashed so that people can come to God. There won't be any advance of the gospel unless the gods of this world are rejected. And I, now listen here carefully to me, and I think I wrote this for you to see. I'm also convinced that there will be no growth, real growth in your spiritual life, in your walk with God, until you identify your idols and let God smash them. The, the one God of the universe must be God. That's why this message is so important. But it's so hard to get rid of them. Um, what, what you find is this. You say, oh yeah, that thing's been too big for me. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know what happens? You just feel it calling out to you again. I'm just telling you my own testimony. You know, it says, well, I'm not a bad thing. Just come back here. And you find yourself back there and consumed by it again. I mean, it's just so hard to get away from it. Uh, the other side is that whenever you really give your life to God, it affects everybody around you. When, when people started following God, it affected that whole culture because the, Demetrius was right. If these thousands of people keep responding to Jesus and believing in one God... Then our, our God of patriotism is going to be gone. My, my God of money is going to be gone. This is too costly. People will get angry uh, as we do that. And it, it will change your relationships because God will have to come first and other people often want to be first. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, it will, it will be the life that God calls you to. This is why I called this message the difficult truth about God's good news is that when you follow Jesus, and those being baptized, make note of this, when you follow Jesus, He must be God. Other things that are idols have to be left behind. With our time gone. Is there any hope that you and I, who have these idol factories in our heart, can ever actually break from those idols? So first, for all of you who are like me, and are A-type personalities and who think, I can do that. I can make this thing happen. Anybody think that? Um, I have some bitter medicine for you. (laughs) You're not going to destroy idols that way. You're not going to say, I I can de-emphasize that thing in my life. I'm going to stop longing for it. I'm going to stop insisting on it. You, You need to know that before Jesus came into this world, in the Old Testament, there were people who loved the laws of God. Read the Psalms. You know, so they loved them. They wanted to live according to them. But they couldn't. They didn't have the power to do it. They, they couldn't put God first. The first commandment. And as the prophet said, we need God to come and write His law in our hearts. We need God to come in and empower us to do this thing that He's made us for. And that's exactly what's happened in the Gospel. God came. And Jesus found a way to forgive our past. But also, he has found a way to put the Holy Spirit into unholy people and to begin to make us holy. That, that, that's what he's done. We can't do it on our own. It, it's just impossible. So you're going to discover you just don't have the strength to do it on your own. And that's why Jesus came, to set you free. So then how does that freedom come about? If it's not a matter of you and I just using our normal str- strategies, 
and processes. Uh, it comes back to the gospel. So I'm going to end with just summarizing a couple of points. I pray that God will use these in your heart and soul. Number one, the good news of God is that salvation is a work of His grace. And by salvation, I don't just mean forgiveness of the past. I mean this whole thing that He's going to remake you. It's, it's a work of His grace. So, the forgiveness for your sins. You can't earn that. Jesus died in your place, you receive it, right? It's grace. By that, I mean it's not earned. It's not merited. That, that's the difference in our Christian faith. God loves us in spite of ourselves. <laughs> and it's a work of His grace that we can have forgiveness. But do you think that His completing our lives is something we do on our own now? No, no, no. That's also a work of God's grace. And here's the good news. God promises that He'll give Himself to us and that He will not be done with you until you are complete in Christ. And so, as a Christian, how do you live in the light of that? I think it begins with this humble acknowledgement. Lord, I cannot do it on my own. I, I don't deserve you, but I need you. And, and hearing God say, I've never given up on you. I'll start again today with you. So each day waking up and, and surrendering and saying, my life is yours. So that means that the thing that really motivates you and me uh, to put God first is gratitude. Not that fear that I have to somehow earn my salvation, but gratitude that God loves us in spite of ourselves. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, the, so that what we need to do is learn to again and again focus upon that beautiful cross of Jesus and realize that what he did there, he said, it is finished. The forgiveness for sins and, and for your remaking, it is completed through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and Paul would always talk about that because Christian faith is so different from other religions. In other religions you have all of these different routines and rituals and formulas and philosophies that you have to learn and to do. Christian faith is a response to what God has done. It's, it's simply one of faith. I trust what you have done. In view of God's mercy, Paul would say, if you remember the mercy of God to you and say, I can't believe it, but he says it's real. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, offer your minds to God. So I think this freedom from idols has to flow out of a, just a deep heart of great gratitude. Where do I have the strength with this grateful heart <laughs> to put God first? Then the strength to smash these idols comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. See, this is what the people who wanted to obey God before Jesus didn't have and you and I have. Do you know that? I mean, I know people knew the church when you received Jesus. He comes in and cleanses you from sins, but he also gives to you himself his very spirit. And, and that means that when you leave this place, you're still in this world and you're still not complete, so you're going to find temptation, but the spirit of God is greater than that temptation. Amen? There are going to be challenges that you face, but, but the spirit of God is greater than those challenges. There are going to be some things that are so discouraging and almost seem hopeless, but there's nothing hopeless because the power of the Holy Spirit was great enough to raise Jesus from the dead and He dwells within us. So each day, get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to face this huge challenge, this temptation, this, this relationship that's just a mess, but I don't have to do it alone. I, 
It's Brother Lawrence saying, practice the presence of God. Learn to know that wherever you go, God's Spirit is there and He's sufficient for whatever you face. And, and the final thing I want to tell you out of the Gospel. God has given you another gift. He's given us to you. You say, well, what, a, what kind of gift? I hope you like us. That's why I hate to leave. He, he's given us to one another uh, a community of faith. And in that community of faith is the main place where God's work is done. Through the local church planted in a community, so many things should happen. We're the witness of God to the world. But one of the things that happens uh, in a community of faith is God completes his work in you and me. So when, when a church comes together, God plants a local church in a neighborhood for a reason. He, he puts us into one another's lives for a reason. So uh, you should do what you're doing now. Good beginning. Come and we need to worship God every week together. And uh, when we worship God, you know what worship means? It means putting God in his rightful place. Worship God means putting God at the center. So when you worship God, that's what we do. When we sing these songs, we say, I believe in God, I praise God. When we open his words, we say, my life is yours. So the rest of the week you leave here, and other things come into the center of your life, right? Sometimes problems come that seem greater than God. Uh, sometimes you put yourself into the place. So, but when you come back into church, why you must do this week after week is it's the time for us to again say, God is God, I believe in you, I will follow you. You see that? So many times this happens to me. I hope it happens to you. We sing these songs that Jeremy leads us in and something inside of me says, I'm a believer. God, you are God. A, a time of re-surrender of my life. And I pray, so do that. But then also you need to be in some other place that's serving alongside and being in a smaller group with people because we need to do life with one another. So in those places, you need to have other Christians in your church who pray with you and for you. Oh, do we need that? Don't you need that sometimes? Uh, sometimes you need people to teach you. That, this is what God's Word says about how you live. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we just need people to encourage us. I've been there, and it's not hopeless. Sometimes we need correction. That's the part that's hard. But we've got to know one another well enough and love one another well enough to do this. Uh, you saw my good friend Jamie was here um, last week. He's the one who played the piano. And uh, a couple of years ago when he came, Chris, you'll affirm that you know this is true. I was driving the car and, my, and I was aggressive and not at peace. And he says, Craig, I think, I think you don't have much shalom in your driving. <laughs> and, and, and seriously, he uh, said, I, I think that might be a symptom of, of a lot of things. You know, if God is at the center, then, then peace should, should flow into every part of your life. It was... It was so convicting. I, I just want you to know, I'm not there. I'm not complete yet either. We need one another to correct. We need sometimes one another to restore. And that when we failed, just as God always welcomes us back, His people, we've got to be a place where we restore people, whatever the failure may have been. So God gives us as a gift to one another. Be a part of that gift. Be a part of the family. My prayer for us as a church is that no matter how big we are and how many services we have, more and more will become that kind of family where together we walk and become complete in Christ. Oh, I'd better get done here. Okay. Paul always preached the gospel in contrast to idols because he knew that the number one problem 
in human lives is the first commandment, putting things in the place of God. I've sought to do the same today too. I I call you to, to take time to identify those things that compete in your life with the place of God and surrender them to Him and to claim the power of the Spirit to have tomorrow to be different from yesterday. It's hard for us because we want to run our own lives. We're always finding ways to put other things into the place of God. It takes the power that raised Jesus from the dead to set us free from our idols. But that's exactly, amen. <laughs> that's exactly what God gives to us in Christ. So I'm going to leave you with one verse to encourage you and to sustain you all week. It's one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. If anyone... Who's in the anyone? All right. If anyone is in Christ... That person becomes a new creation. Things become possible that weren't possible before. In Christ, the old and its gods, gone. In Christ, the new has come. And all this is from God. And to His glory. Amen. Amen.